Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Janie Hu, the Chronicles assistant sports editor, and I'm joined, as always, by our Giants beat writer, Henry Shulman. Henry, I'm excited. We're finally shoving some snow, some coal into the hot stove season. Uh, the Giants traded for Andrew McCutcheon on Monday, and today they finally, officially introduced new third baseman Evan Longoria. What should we make of these moves? Well, uh, I, I think that they filled two significant holes. Uh, I mean, when you go back to the beginning of the offseason, uh, they talked about the need to get much better defensively, uh, particularly in center field, and they needed to add some offense. And, well, they haven't found the center fielder yet, but they definitely have added offense. So, I mean, Longoria and McCutcheon are two uh, significant bats to add. Uh, I mean, they might not be the bats that they were two or three years ago, but they're significant, and they will help this offense uh, tremendously. Uh, I, I think now that the deals, those two deals are done, we can look back now and we have a better sense of what – the team's strategy was going into the winter. Uh, they made three trades, basically. They got rid of Matt Moore. They sent him to Texas for a couple of, you know, minor leaguers who were not necessarily big prospects, but they lost $9 million in salary. They made the Longoria deal uh, where they uh, got a long-term answer for third base, but they also gave got some salary relief from the Rays. And they traded for McCutcheon uh, and got some salary relief back from the Pirates. And in return for that, of course, they had to give up two pretty good young players. So clearly their strategy was to go through trade rather than free agency because uh, they, they would be able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish to help uh, the roster along while at the same time being able to ask the teams they talked to to help them out salary-wise to keep them under the luxury tax threshold, which they are probably between 4 and $5 million under right now as they look for a center fielder. Right. Um, we talked about this so much this offseason, how it was such a slow market to develop, and we're, we're starting to see these strategies come into play now. Where does that – we have Lorenzo Cain. We're talking about center fielder, uh, center field options still on the market. Um, in this climate of teams trying to get under the luxury tax, is it likely that, they, that the Giants would go for a guy like that? Or now, like you said, they have – options, um, given their little that they got a little bit of salary relief in these deals, um, and are they going to explore the lower tier of players? Well, the issue with Kane is not just the luxury tax, but also because he got a qualifying offer from the Royals, uh, he's going to cost the Giants. If the Giants sign him, he's uh, going to cost a couple of draft picks, their second and fifth draft picks, as well as a million dollars in international bonus slot money at a time when they're coming out of uh, – 
international uh, signing prison, if you want to call it that. They were limited for two years to just $300,000 a player in international signings because uh, they went over the cap when they signed Lucius Fox a few years back. That's the bigger issue, uh, losing those draft picks when they're going to be drafting second in every round. I don't think the Giants are going to be active players in Kane, but uh, you have a situation where free agents at the uh, top tier are not getting the offers they're looking for. At some point, the price could come down to a level where the Giants have to think about those draft picks and the international bonus money and go, hey, maybe it's worth it here to lose those draft picks if we can get a center fielder like Kane for you know, 40 cents or 60 cents on the dollar, for instance. But more to the point of what you asked, I think the Giants more are going to go toward what you called lower-tier options. There are a lot of guys out there like that who fit really what they need. They really don't need the offense anymore. They need somebody to go out and catch the ball, uh, a Gerard Dyson, a Ben Revere, somebody like that, um, uh, a John Jay, somebody who can catch the ball and, and maybe help uh, apprentice uh, young Stephen Duggar. And uh, – you know, hopefully Duggar will be the center field uh, center fielder of the near future, and uh, I see that as more of an option than uh, going out and blowing everything up on Lorenzo Cain. Right, uh, Evan Longoria was finally introduced today as well. A bit anticlimactic, given that the trade was a month ago. Um, one of the things that I found interesting uh, that he talked about at the press conference was how he first the first giants that he reached out to were Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner, um, saying, "Hey guys, I'm here to win. I'm 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 going to follow the example. I'm just here to follow the example that you guys have set out. Basically, saying all the right things um, with." Longoria and with McCutcheon coming in, two stand-up guys or, that are known for being stand-up guys around the league. Um, what is? Do you have any concerns about how they will fit into the clubhouse? That maybe that now we might see some of the leadership spread around a little. No, I think that um, I wrote about this in my story for the Saturday paper, and I, I think it's really the opposite. I think what happens is that last year you had Melanson come in, and he was the only acquisition, he was the only significant acquisition. And he was there to fill a need that cost them the playoffs. And, you know, the, I mean, might have cost them a World Series how bad the bullpen was. Right. So Melanson comes in, and all of a sudden he is the man. He is there to fix everything. And uh, he goes out and blows a save on the first day and gets hurt. And that's a lot of pressure. And one of the things Longoria and McCutcheon have both talked about, and it makes sense, they're not coming in. This is not going to be their team. It's still Buster's team. It's still Bumgarner's team. And then you have Crawford and uh, – and Belt, who have been here for a long time, and they can fit in more. Uh, they're not going to be the ones when, when uh, the Giants go to New York and they're struggling, they're not going to be the ones who have to stand there and answer questions from the New York media for 20 minutes about what's wrong with the Giants. Those are going to be questions that you go to the, the team leaders for. And uh, I think you're going to see a team that, that is more along the lines of uh, some of the World Series teams like in 10 and 12 where – um, there, there really is, is not just one or two leaders on the team, but uh, there's a lot of veteran presence. And in fact, I mean, when you have a team that all 30-something players, really, except for Panic, there is a lot of that quote-unquote veteran presence. And sometimes that whole concept can be a little overstated. I mean, ultimately, what you need is talent on the field. But the Giants are big on getting upstanding uh, citizens, guys who are big in their communities, and really they picked up the uh, face of the franchise from two different teams with Longoria and McCutcheon. What's the feeling that, that or, or what are you hearing from your social media followers? Um, you have folks from Pittsburgh, from Tampa Bay, that are uh, they, looking, at, looking at what they're saying. Oh, man, it, it really 
de- devastates them to lose their so-called faces of the franchise. At the same time, it's almost like they're they're wishing them well. Like they, you know, Pittsburgh didn't deserve you, or Tampa Bay didn't deserve you guys. Yeah, the it's- fans in those cities, like most fans in baseball, are smart enough now. I mean, everybody. Uh, as an expert now on the finances of the game, the mm-hmm. economy of the game. And they all realized that uh, these players would have loved to have stayed there. I mean, uh, Longoria had signed uh, an extension. I mean, that's why he's he's here for another four years. They have him. Uh, five years, I believe it is actually, not four. And uh, McCutcheon uh, would have signed an extension if they had come to him and given him a fair offer. I mean, he didn't want to leave Pittsburgh. I mean, for goodness sakes, he and his wife named their, their child Steel that's after right. the Steelers uh, when he was born. Uh, so they're savvy enough to be angry, uh, not at the players, but at the teams for not wanting to compete, not wanting to spend the money. Uh, but yeah, there is a, a sort, it would be the same thing if, uh, if Buster Posey were traded to any team, but the Dodgers, I have to say that, I mean, if Buster Posey got traded to the Braves, for instance, uh, bite my tongue. Uh, I mean, people would hate the Giants. I mean, they would tar and feather Larry Bear and Bobby Evans, but they would hope that Buster would do well uh, and and hope he succeeds because they have so much invested in him. Right. I just thought it said a lot that um, you had these two players that their home fans were wishing them such good fortune in their next step. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, a player like McCutcheon, um, I would say that the Giants relatively got away cheap in that trade, but... Uh, the players that they did give up uh, were Kyle Crick and then um, the uh, Brian Reynolds. Reynolds, thank you. I had a little brain freeze there. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, the, the very first story I think I worked on with you um, after I came back to the sports department was a one of the first stories was a big feature on Kyle Crick. Um, went down to I think Fall League um, to see him in Arizona, and it's just interesting. He, he was a guy that came in with so much promise. It was like the build as the next Matt Cain, and struggled a little bit, but was able to work out the kinks in the uh, and, and become a player of trade value. Well, yeah, and I mean I would say that I don't think that they got away really cheaply because they gave away a power reliever who looked like he was coming into his own and Crick and Reynolds by, you know, some estimates was a top 5 prospect in the organization. He just, you know, with Duggar coming and and Elliot Ramos behind him, he just became a little more expendable. I mean, this could be these could both be players who uh, will uh, really succeed for their teams for a long time. But going back to Crick, you know, you draft a pitcher from high school, uh, you don't, don't really know what you're going to get. I mean, you draft a hitter from high school, and you don't really know what you're going to get either, but especially a pitcher. And uh, Kyle Crick was a guy who reminded a, a lot of people of Matt Cain. Uh, they're from the same part of the country, mm-hmm. uh, in fact. Uh, uh, Cain was from Tennessee, and uh, Crick was from Texas. And uh, they uh, both were at power arms. They looked like they, uh, they sized were the same. They had the same stuff. Well, Matt Cain figured it out in a couple of years. Kyle Crick never did. Kyle Crick had command issues uh, throughout his time trying to become a starter. And after uh, he was in Class A, after he was in San Jose and just looked like he was going to blow through the rest of the minors and come up here, he never really could make it. So they turned him into a reliever. And one of the things you do when you, uh, to do that, one of the reasons you do that is, look, we're going to take advantage of the fact that this guy's got a power arm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just tell him, you know what, just live on your fastball. You can't really do that if you're a starter. As a reliever, you can. Just work on these two pitches here. Just work on your fastball and changeup. And uh, we'll we'll see what happens. And he he finally learned some command. And the the Giants uh, are uh, have said over and over again that I mean they need to do more to get power pitchers and take advantage of this trend where every team has relievers. 
a whole bucket full of relievers who can blow the doors off hitters with fastballs. And now the Giants have gotten rid of one of the players uh, who really kind of fit the bill, one of the few players they have. And now they're actually pinning some hopes on a kid who's never pitched past single A. It's a 22-year-old Dominican named uh, Julian Fernandez, whom they got in the Rule 5 draft. And he's going to be in spring training. And if he doesn't make the 25-man roster, they got to send him back to the team they drafted him from. So they're actually thinking this is a guy who could come in here, and uh, even though he doesn't have a lot of experience, but with his stuff could actually help the major league team. Right. Um, one of the things I think that followed Crick was that he ended up being surpassed by guys that the Giants had uh, drafted after him. And kind of looking forward to next season um, and the starting and the Giants starting pitching rotation, how do you see that shaping out behind Bumgarner, Cueto, and Samarja? Are the guys like Ty Block and Tyler Beattie, are they content to go with what they have in-house? It's funny that you couch the question that way because uh, Crick and uh, Stratton were drafted in back-to-back years uh, in the first round. I mean, Crick was, I guess, a, a more of a supplemental pick, but uh, still, two top draft picks, and both of them were sort of labeled as busts. Uh, and now Crick ends up in a trade that gets them uh, McCutcheon, and Stratton is now a guy who pretty much has a hold on a rotation spot. Now, what their company line is right now is that between, or among, I guess, Stratton, uh, Beattie, Block and Andrew Suarez, not Albert, the old guy, Andrew, the young guy, that they have two guys that they can fill the back end of the rotation, the fourth and fifth spots. Now, I'm a little skeptical of that because the Giants have not been an organization during the Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans years that leaves that much to chance with prospects. Uh, So I would not be surprised if they, uh, as we get toward the end of spring training or even into spring training, the way this market's going is if if there's a – sort of a veteran fifth starter type who's out there uh, that they would take a look at signing him or even bringing guys in on a minor league contract. They've done that before uh, and, and bring somebody in on a minor league contract and uh, let him try and win a job uh, so that they don't have to rely on four young pitchers uh, to, to go for uh, five uh, for two rotation spots, especially when two of those pitchers have not pitched an inning in the major leagues. But that's the plan for right now. Right. Um, we are – Two, three weeks, three weeks out of spring training. Um, if you're a guy like Elio Ramos, who had his his name bandied about in trade talks with Giancarlo Stanton, and and now you pr- presumably you know you're here. Um, what what's what is what does he go into like a, a camp thinking? Well, first of all, he'll be in minor league camp. He won't be in major league camp. Um, so uh, just to be clear about that for the listeners. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's hard enough for a guy who's like Longoria. I mean, he was kept in the loop about a possible trade mm-hmm. uh, for a long time. And, I mean, that's hard. That's stressful. He's 32. Right. He's been through the wars. He's got a contract. He's set for life. Now imagine you're 18 years old and, you you know, you were drafted when you were 17 and you – you know, you think you're going to be part of this organization. You're brought in here, and now all winter, uh, your name comes up in trade talks, and the team actually would not tell him that. You know, they didn't say, "Don't worry, you're not going anywhere," because right. they couldn't, and they still can't, right. because there's a possibility that there's going to be a young, controllable 
center field option out there. I mean, Christian Yelich, I think the Giants would be like about 90 to 1 long shots to get him. But if somehow the Giants were able to get a Christian Yelich from the the Marlins to play center field, Ramos would have to be in that deal. So what you have to do, he is a mature young man, and I I think what you have to do more so not hit the team but his agent. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, his agent is a Puerto Rican gentleman. Uh, They're very uh, tight. And uh, they speak the same language. And uh, he just has to tell them, look, you can only control what you can control, which is a lesson that you learn in all sports at all ages and all levels. So just do your work. Just, uh, you know, and wherever you end up, you're you're still going to be in, in spring training and it's the same game anywhere. Uh, but, I mean, this is a kid who wants to be a giant. Right. Um, thanks for the clarification on the minor and major league camp. So switching back gears to major league camp, what do you think? Um, I don't we might not get a chance uh, to, to see you before you head off. Um, but in, so just in case, what do you think are the let's say three storylines um, to watch? Well, I think uh, the rotation, like we talked about, will be uh, one of one of the storylines. Uh, I think that um, the lineup is going to be another. What Bochi likes to do, especially when he has newer players, is he likes to try people out in spring training and see where where they are. And I think day to day, as we go through the exhibition games, which start at the end of February, I think that's going to be a, a huge story. Uh, and right now, I, I think they're looking at McCutcheon as the leadoff hitter, pending uh, any kind of move they make for a leadoff center field type. So that could change. And then I think a third storyline will be the bullpen, and specifically whether Melanson or Dyson will be the closer. Now they say Melanson is going to be the closer. And I asked Bobby Evans about Melanson today, about his health of his arm uh, post-surgery, and he said his arm is great and that he's going to come to camp uh, with no uh, – restrictors on he's not going to be slow played as Boshi likes to say and uh that's going to be an interesting story because Dyson came in for uh those last uh, two and a half three and a half months I'm sorry when Melanson was hurt and he did a great job as the closer so I think those the rotation the lineup and and the closer are going to be three of the key storylines right and one more time with the outfielder it's going to look different with Kutch in right field Pence moves to left yet to be determined maybe center fielder um Henry Pence um do you do you have any reason to believe that uh, he said all the right things also um or at least Bochi relayed that he was on board with moving to left field any any reason to think otherwise no I I don't think so I I just um you know, I remember when uh, you remember when uh, Pens had those streaks. He was, I think, for two seasons in a row. I believe it was he played in all 162 games for a while. He actually had the uh, current major league high for number of games played. He was baseball's Iron Man, and uh, at at one point, Bochy said, "Look, we we you're getting older. We have to save your legs. Right. Uh, you're probably going to rest more." And and Pence didn't take very long. He didn't fight it. He said, "You mm-hmm. know, I mean." I want to play as much as I can, but I think you're right. And, I mean, he realizes the situation. He's, he's a guy who's going to be 35 years old soon. Uh, it, it's a, you know, he's, he also knows, besides moving to left field, that he's probably not going to start as many games as he used to. And you're going to have other corner outfielders like Austin Slater, um, maybe somebody like a Jarrett Parker or Mac Williamson, who we've all forgotten about. They'll be competing for backup uh, outfield jobs as well. Uh, so I, I think he understands the lay of the land. Uh, I mean, the one thing is it's going to be his final year before he 
uh, goes out to try and get one more contract, uh, maybe one more long-term contract in baseball, uh, you want to be able to prove yourself. You don't want to go into the winter uh, letting people know that you're no longer a, a, a viable starting player in the major leagues. So I think he's going to fight for his playing time, but I don't know that uh, you know he's going to create a, a stir by saying that I don't want to go to left when I now have Andrew McCutcheon here. Right, right. That's a <laughs> that would be a tough move. Um, question remains: Is this all enough? And there's no doubt. I think that they've improved upon where they were at those positions. Um, but in a stacked, especially National League West, is it? You well, know, will they be uh, enough? Yeah, I don't look at it as a National League West thing, to be honest with you. And I was asked this question in a radio interview the other day, uh, and uh, I was asked uh, what the over under on wins mm-hmm. would be for the Giants right now, and. Um, I said about at right now. I said about eighty and a half hmm. as the over and under, which would make them about a five hundred team. But I say that knowing they're probably going to get a center fielder, and once they get a center fielder, that number goes up. And the number they're not shooting for first. They don't have to shoot for first place. What they have to shoot for is eighty-eight wins. Eighty-eight wins is the magic number in this wild card era um, to to get into the playoffs. And this is a team that has proven, proved in 2014 that, and and really to some degree in 2010, that they don't have to enter the playoffs uh, as the best team in baseball to win the World Series. 2014, they were a wild card team. They won the wild card Mm -hmm. game. Uh, Actually, they won two wild card games in a row uh, with Pittsburgh and in 2016, the Mets. So you don't have to look at them uh, trying to go from 64 wins to 95 wins and beat the Dodgers. Uh, That would be asking a lot, and I don't think they can do that. Now, if you want to ask me that same question uh, of where they are, uh, wins-wise, after they get a center fielder and perhaps after they get another reliever and starter, then uh, that number will go up. Right. Well, I'll take the easy, cheap way out and remind uh, and and play the it's an even year card. Um, And we'll hope to catch up with you one more time before we uh, you head off to spring training. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, Henry. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Schulman, H-A-N-K-S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N, and me at Janie underscore who, J-A-N-N-Y underscore H-U. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.